Hey, 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 everybody. How are you all guys doing? Welcome to the Wimper Podcast, where we talk about all the goofy stuff related to space, astronomy, deep tech, AI, and a lot more to learn about which you won't find much in a conventional form of education. Hi, uh, Divyansha. So I'm really excited to actually be a part of the show. And uh, it's been quite a, uh, quite a journey. I mean, uh, uh, for both of us, I think we are doing great things in whatever whatever we are doing in our chosen fields. So, uh, uh, congratulations to you uh, at such an engage. I mean, you are you are really uh, really captivating, and uh, your podcasts have been really informative. So, uh, on that note, we'll go ahead and definitely start this. Appreciate this opportunity to be a, a part of the podcast today. How does microgravity affect the immune system, and what measures can be taken? to prevent infections and illnesses during space missions. So if you look at the immune system of our body, right, basically they are uh, impacted by the amount of WBCs we have, uh, white blood corpuscles. So again, there are different type of WBCs, there are subcategories, there's there the A category, there's the T category and so on. Uh, our knowledge on this in the microgravity environment is limited. Because one thing is, it's very difficult to simulate microgravity here in the uh, in the atmosphere of the Earth. Uh, of course, you can do all those parabolic flights and achieve some kind of uh, um, kind of condition that is close to zero gravity or microgravity, like having a parabolic flight and stuff like that. But apart from that, it's really difficult to simulate microgravity. The only other uh, resource we have at this point is the International Space Station. So if you look at the International Space Station, like it's going to, uh, it's there in the slightly above the lower Earth orbit, and then uh, you're you're basically there uh, spinning at a, a, a large velocity. So that you, you're through due to the centrifugal force, you're going to experience microgravity um, almost 24/7 right there. So that's our only environment. Um, so basically, what we are doing is we are uh, with our presence in the International Space Station over uh, the last two decades uh, significantly, like. Uh, a lot of countries uh, have uh, have invested a lot. Uh, it's basically a national lab at the end of the day. So uh, we have been studying the effects of uh, microgravity and the uh, how immune system is getting affected in space due to that limited scope of study. Uh, we don't know a whole lot yet, but from whatever we know, we see that there is an impact on the uh, WBCs uh, and uh, the way the immune system slows down. So this happens like with time. So if you see the longest missions in the International Space Station, some people have almost lived to a year. So if you see their bodies, I think uh, definitely there is there, there is a delta between the conditions that here uh, are there on Earth and then the microgravity condition. So um, if deep space happens, things are uh, things can accelerate. Um, so at this point, we can say that uh, your immune system can microgravity induce changes to gene expression and protein synthesis be leveraged to advance medical research and drug development on Earth? Sure, that is a good follow-up question. The answer to that is definitely yes, because as I said, right, uh, the International Space Station is more a laboratory. So if you see, there are a whole lot of experiments uh, taking place in the ISS just for this reason, right? So we have to find uh, outcomes uh, and drug uh, and develop drugs and medical devices. Of course, uh, let me give a background on me. That I'm I'm into medical devices as well. I'm into medical devices quality in real life of my profession. So basically, what happens is we are 
definitely working uh, to uh, to fulfill these outcomes uh, in space. So both in terms of drug de development and medical development, and there is a close relationship between the two. Like the the processes are pretty much the same, although one is uh, chemical based. Uh, um, within the body kind of a reaction and versus the other is a more surgical based outcome. So in terms of medical device. So uh, I would say like it is a playground for research. And uh, one of the things with, uh, with the ISS is uh, the astronauts have like basically wear multiple hats. So they are astronauts in the first place. They do spacewalks and things like that. That's the primary thing. But um, they also the secondary missions is to run these experiments. So they get trained in, in uh, uh, on Earth to actually do that and uh, and go ahead and perform those things in space. So as I said, right, there are multiple ways, there are multiple pathways to this. There are different ways to skin a cat. So uh, STEM is a popular theme. So uh, if if it's an art based theme, it's things will get highly complicated. But then I'm not ruling out anything with our Mars exploration and things like that coming into picture in the future. That the art-based thing won't work. Um, so it definitely works uh, in the long run. But in the short run, uh, definitely STEM-based courses are the way to go. So if you can be in that sweet spot between astrobiology, uh, physics, and uh, um, and say uh, cybersecurity, for example, and um, yeah. How are medical emergencies handled in space, and what kinds of equipment? and training are necessary to ensure astronauts safety and well-being this is again a very good question uh, you cannot anticipate a lot of things in space so which means your strategy for the international space station i'm not i'm not talking about deep space yet deep space we are definitely looking at a different strategy but um, in in terms of international space station what we are trying to do is isolate the problem try and suppress the issue and then uh, if that issue cannot be tackled then get the uh, get the astronaut or whoever is affected back to the Earth as soon as possible because that this can happen like uh, uh, if you say within a span of half a day to a day uh, if you if you have a spacecraft return spacecraft docked to the station maybe it can be done in half a day or so but if you look at deep space missions it's more challenging so how we are going to like manage this situation right now on international space station is um is basically have a lot of remote uh, base connections from here on earth where medical professionals can provide real-time advice and there is a basic uh, surgical table and uh, there are basic conditions and books uh, on the space station with a trained astronaut who's typically from a medical background and who can perform uh, ca perform uh, procedures to mitigate what's happening there currently uh, so that the rest can be taken here, uh, taken care of here on Earth. So basically, uh, things like cardiovascular events, um, things like uh, minor surgeries, they're all trained on how to do that. But yeah, to answer your question, basically what we try to do is uh, we try to mitigate the problem as far as possible um, uh, within the International Space Station. And then we kind of do that. Uh, like if it's extremely critical, then we kind of take it on Earth uh, because the time lag is like between half a day and one day. But if it's going to be Mars, then it's a different story.
What are the long-term effects of space radiation on the human body and how can radiation shielding technology be improved to mitigate these effects? I think this is a big thing, right? Even even with astronauts who are in the International Space Station, radiation is a pretty big thing. So let me tell you something about radiation, right? Uh, most of our on the surface of the Earth, like the two types of radiation, okay? One is ionizing, the other is non-ionizing. So if you see the ionizing radiation is what like uh, we are more exposed to in space. Uh, most of the ionizing radiation is filtered by our Earth's uh, geomagnetic uh, magnetic field, right? So you don't get to uh, see a lot of ionization. So uh, let me explain you what is ionization first of all. So basically when the radiation happens, um, so if your atom level uh, energy is not transmitted to the subatomic particles, uh, then that's non-ionization. If you, if you, if you basically uh, transmit it through the atom where your atom breaks down or uh, you uh, you remove the electron out of the outer shell of the atom basically ionize it right so that's called ionizing radiation so so basically when you are in outer space you have to deal with both uh, in uh, if you are on earth you only have to deal with uv which is in a form of uh, non ionizing uh, radiation but uv is still harmful for us so one of the major things that we are looking at is uh, uh, on on both fronts is basically the exposure to uh, radiation and cancer so uh, the more the shielding, the better. Um, from uh, from research, whatever we hear is like hydrogen uh, is the best shield for uh, for uh, yeah for radiation. Basically, you have a perimeter. If you have a wall, uh, basically they make the wall thicker. That's one way. The other way is to have a section of uh, wall filled with liquid or uh, say uh, say some kind of hydrogen. So you can you can definitely do that. And if you are in, uh, if you are in, probably if you are in a space suit or something, then you have special coats on the visors and stuff like that to block the radiation. How might the reduced gravity on Mars impact human health and well-being? And what adaptations will be necessary to maintain physical fitness and prevent long-term health issues? Yeah, this is an extension to what we do at the International Space Station again, right? Of course, there are, there are different levels of gravity. So in International Space Station, it's about microgravity, it's almost close to zero. Um, but then if you go to Mars, right? Mars, like if you're a uh, 200 person, uh, 200 pound person, for example, here who weighs uh, uh, on Earth like 200 pounds, uh, he or she would be weighing like only around one third of that on Mars. So there is gravity. But is that gravity enough uh, for, uh, for our... Uh, uh, our bone density is not to get compromised and stuff like that. Uh, one of the things um, these medical professionals suggest is to do exercise in water. Why do they do that? Because you don't have to fight the effects of gravity. So basically, uh, you can you can do those exercises easily in water. So uh, many medical professionals recommend swimming. Why do they do that? Because it's uh, it's you, you're getting the same effect uh, by not countering the same effects of gravity if you're in water. So the same thing applies there uh, in Mars as well. So since you weigh less, uh, it's a lot easier to do stuff. What psychological challenges might arise from the isolation and confinement of living on Mars? And how can astronauts adapt to cope with these challenges? Yeah, psychological parameters are definitely an accelerator to the underlying condition. It's been proven medically that, uh, yeah, definitely it's an add-on. How will living on Mars impact daily routines such as sleep, exercise, and prep meal preparation? And well, you already answered the reason of exercise. And what measures can be taken to maintain a healthy lifestyle in the Martian environment? I'll tell you what happens, right? Even everything, even if in, in a hundred percent scenario where everything is intact, right? Your communication, there's going to be a lag, right? 
if you see international space station see it's almost on sync with the earth so not exactly it's still a few seconds delayed but almost pretty close right that's not going to be the case with mars so mars if you're going to send a message to the earth it's going to take 30 minutes to for that message to come to the earth so anything can happen in the 30 minutes it takes another 30 minutes for your reply to go uh, back to mars so there's already a 30 minute lag even if you use the deep space network to actually uh, accomplish what you want half an hour is that average i'm talking about i don't know how much it will come down uh, every two years or i i don't have data on that but on an average it's close to 27 minutes or something so if, if everything goes well it still takes 27 minutes for you to establish a earth connection so so say something goes bad and you are debugging it you're going to lose hours basically trying to trying to get a reply from earth and what happens if that is critical you need something to happen immediately and uh, and you have to wait there's no point blaming right you have to overcome them that's what the martian is all about right you uh, martian talks about one key aspect on mars which is in-situ resource utilization you have to use the resources that are available to you at that point that point to fight so the uh, the way he uh, in that movie martian the uh, the primary uh, person uh, who's stuck on Mars doing it is you, he uses institute uh, yeah, resource utilization to grow potatoes using his own. So what I would say is uh, your meals, they're going to be a little different. Uh, they're not going to be fresh. They're going to be like uh, kind of, uh, for the most part, uh, water being taken out, uh, non-hydrated uh, kind of food that can that has to be prepared in a way, which is happening. Uh, food science is big in the International Space Station as well. So one good thing is the variety has improved a lot now. Um, but uh, the thing is, um, fresh fruits and stuff like that, unless like resupply missions happen every now and then, that's not going to be there. So we have to find a way through that. Uh, that's the dietary aspect of it. Of course, uh, we covered on the health aspects of it as well, uh, both, of, you know, both psychologically and, uh, and the other things um, in terms of uh, bone density. I was also quite interested in knowing about um, Titan, you know, because Titan has been one of those planets, uh, planets in particular, but uh, celestial bodies out there, one of the moons, uh, where the probability of life and just understanding how life can be formed out of zero, you know, uh, can be studied, right? Because it has uh, a lot of biomarks and it has a lot of possibilities of uh, being a probable place where life could be found no matter how small so titan versus mars this is a very interesting topic right the similarities uh, lie in the amount of biomarkers we find by biomarkers i mean uh, i mean bacteria life uh, subatomic uh, i mean uh, uh, cellular organisms single celled organisms um, um, the other things so they thrive in an environment where there is methane so um, data is there both in Mars and in Titan um, that that life could have been there in some form because of the biomarkers. Uh, so basically, we are tracking carbon dioxide versus methane. So if you see uh, the uh, the ratio changing over time, so it says like uh, uh, something is happening in terms of uh, uh, in terms of reproduction or. Uh, or say uh, in terms of gases consumption. So uh, the balance between methane and carbon dioxide tells you there's some kind of life. And that's happening a lot in uh, Titan. Uh, and it has also happened on Mars. 
So that's why we are uh, kind of interested in certain areas in Mars. Uh, particularly, there's an area called the Jezero Crater. So that's where the uh, rovers are now uh, uh, in, uh, actually uh, um, roving around um, uh, around the Jezero Craters because there is evidence that several thousand years ago, some kind of um, basin existed there and uh, uh, and there's some kind of methane level or carbon dioxide uh, elevation in those particular areas. And there is also like a probability of finding water uh, that is ancient, uh, that is highly probable in that Jezero Crater. So similar to the Jezero Crater, if you see Titan, Titan uh, thrives with, uh, uh, with uh, methane. So that's one of the biomarkers. So Starship is amazing, right? So star, you definitely know in terms of fuel, hydrogen is a much superior fuel, no doubt about it. But why do we choose methane? That's the question. It's easier to create methane. So methane is the only organic compound that can be uh, that can be created through an inorganic reaction. So uh, you, uh, you go through your OCHEM, uh, you will know that. It's very unique. You can actually use carbon dioxide and hydrogen to create methane. So that is one thing. And you can also create uh, oxygen in space uh, through electrolysis, through uh, through a module called MOXIE. Uh, you might have read about it. So there's a module in the rover, uh, which is called MOXIE, M-O-X-I-E. Uh, it's called Mars Oxygen In-Situ uh, uh, Utilization, In-Situ Resource Utilization Experiment. So basically what we're doing is we're creating oxygen there. So we have oxygen, we have uh, methane, and uh, you have enough uh, resources to build your propellant. It's an electrolysis process that's, uh, that, that's happening to produce oxygen from carbon dioxide. So basically, there lies your question, right? You have your oxidizer, you have your fuel. Uh, you can definitely build, uh, build uh, a rocket and come back. We're actually going to do this in the, in the future. So right now, if you, uh, I don't know whether you've heard of the sample return uh, um, mission that's going to happen. So basically, the rover is taking samples of soils, right? You cannot analyze everything in the rover because rover has got many uh, many limitations in terms of processing those geological, I mean, when I say Martian data. So what, they, what they're going to do is they're going to send those samples to Earth. And how are they going to achieve this? Is by a sample return mission. And for that sample return mission, right, you have to have some kind of rocket or something that is going to tie to the orbiter on Mars. And that's going to like, Send the orbiter then is then going to send something to the Earth. Basically, some mini version of Starship is going to happen even before we get there. One of the reasons Starship is leaning towards methane is that is your reason. So methane is not the most efficient, but it's the most practical. How can human settlements on Mars be designed to optimize quality of life and what role will architecture and urban planning play in creating a livable environment? Oh, this is a huge field, man. There are people who are specializing in space architecture right now. So one of the things in Mars we already touched upon is radiation, right? It's very difficult to live on the surface of Mars. So we have to find um, uh, find places where uh, human uh, life can definitely start. So we are looking at uh, underground places uh, using the Martian soil as shield. Uh, we are looking at crevices. You're looking at caves. You're looking at... Uh, uh, you're looking at terraforming, um, trying to have uh, uh, trying to have an artificial uh, uh, artificial roof over uh, the surface of Mars so that we can have a biome for that. So yeah, yeah, your your uh, options are like uh, limited to that when you start. And uh, going forward, uh, if you try to increase the greenhouse effect gases in Mars, so one of our aim is to increase greenhouse greenhouse effect in Mars as opposed to Earth, right? 
in earth greenhouse effect is a problem mars you need greenhouse effect the simplest area where we can target is to try to isolate ourselves by building a terra farm uh, that's the easiest way to set up something but uh, if you can find uh, places where uh, radiation is not going to reach for example crevasses caves those are uh, those are something we can readily use uh, to optimize our situation and what else we can do is we can definitely uh, leverage the uh, in situ re uh, resource utilization things as well so because we have martian soil we can definitely use uh, uh, use compacting those soils and making a shield uh, out of them and uh, try to uh, try to start our initial civilization there as well i'll tell you one thing we have to use something kind of something to do with the martian soil i don't think we can carry anything here from earth to to build something there at a large quantity so some kind of binding agent we can definitely try but apart from that we have to use the uh, martian soil to actually build whatever we are going to build if you look at the artemis missions that's what we are trying to achieve right we are trying to simulate the condition that we can expect in mars um, by simulating a, a similar situation in the moon um, by building an intermediate base and then uh, trying to replicate that in mars artemis is focused towards moon because what we do in mars we have to uh, we have to somewhat accomplish it in moon first so we anticipate some kind of commonality between the regolith of mars and the regolith of moon i think given that both are uh, both are terrestrial uh, bodies so um, i know one is a satellite without atmosphere the other is a planet with some kind of atmosphere but uh, there is some commonality between uh, what we can find uh, in terms of regolith uh, so how we can use uh, those technologies using the Mar martian or the moon regolith to build may be similar may not be similar we don't know that but uh, we at least have a case study on where to uh, put that in place in terms of the moon so definitely can build some kind of a base in moon um, using uh, using what we know uh, right now if you if you see the if you see the density of carbon dioxide in mars like it's very very uh, negligible when you compare uh, that uh, to that of the earth so although that particular atmosphere thing is there um you cannot really compare it with the earth at this point it's it's too low right now it's too low right now uh, although there is carbon dioxide uh, um, and uh, most of the carbon dioxide is like again converted into carbonates right so most of them are rocks so if you can try to get those carbon dioxide out in the future and uh, uh, and kind of uh, increase the carbon dioxide content and try to actually um, build a, build a artificial atmosphere uh, over the period of the future i don't think that's going to improve uh, in any time near soon so we have to look at terraforming other things to contain that atmosphere to build that atmosphere where people can live so one good thing is we definitely have some kind of ferrous material that is required that's a, that's a different aid to the crops and stuff but that's like we still need uh, sunlight and uh, water uh, to effectively do anything phosphorization is an important thing um, so i think they do they do i think they are even rich uh to an extent where it's not very suited to the crops so we have to go ahead and uh, remove that first that's a process in itself we have to process the soil where uh, you you provide uh, enough opportunities for the plants or uh, plants for the crops to grow so uh, with the current situation i think you have of the phosphorus thing right we have to remove uh, the excess phosphorus first but those things can be done uh, uh, within the within the surface of mars itself yeah there are the chemical reactions that can do that in the end any kind of message that you would like to give to the audience 
um what i would try to tell the audience is keep doing what you're doing and uh, try to improve on a day to day basis that's what i try to do in my profession so my profession and uh, passion as well so if you see look at my uh, profession i'm into medical device quality um try to do a lot of a uh, lot of reading and a lot of certifications around that uh my passion is aerospace so i work for i, I volunteer for civilia petrol and i'm an ambassador for nasa so uh that keeps me going try to uh, read as much as possible um and uh, try to stay connected in your network building your network is very important i would say so keep building your network try to leverage uh, whatever you can and uh, and according to me the only competition there is is you because you can only improve based on uh, what you know and what what you are at that particular time so there are noises and peer pressures that are there Uh, comparisons and stuff like that especially in india so i would say like keep that to a minimum and the only target that you should be focus on and uh, focusing on is to be a better version of yourself uh, in the uh, in the future and the uh, every day so if you do that i think you are pretty much on the right track and after all you know i usually try to ask this to every guest that comes to the show so any form of feedback or anything that you would like to particularly give on our conversation man you you, you are, uh, to be frank the work that you do is absolutely amazing so that is uh, an achievement in itself but for me the greater achievement of yours is i think how do you manage your time in uh, doing all these things so that is like i'm i'm literally very impressed with so uh, in between all the things that you do in your uh, studies and stuff like that you're pretty young so you're finding time to do all these things and the best way to learn is to interacting with uh, interact with people so uh, yeah i do a lot of uh, see i'm more uh, more a media kind of a, a video audio a kind of a medium person uh, i prefer like listening to interviews and uh, listening to documentary watching documentaries uh, and listening to podcasts around 